When I was a young boy, my father was earning a living managing a tire shop and garage. He was paid mostly by commissions. He sold truck tires for the most part. I had a much older brother who was just getting started in life. My father got the idea that he wanted to leave my brother with a business. So my father cashed in his retirement money, and so did two of his buddies who worked in other shops in the same chain, General Tire. The three of them bought a tire shop slash garage. There was a photograph that my mother showed me long after all of this had gone sour showing these three middle-aged men standing proudly in front of their store with big grins on their faces. The problem? One of my dad's partners, who was supposed to be his dear friend, embezzled from the store and ran off. The two partners who remained behind, including my father, were forced to sell the store back to the chain at far less than they had paid for it. My father and the other remaining partner lost everything. My parents ended up in debt, and many years later, when my father died, he left my mother almost penniless. She died broke. Now here's a question that many Christians ask. Why does God let evil people succeed? The man who stole from my father was never caught. He never paid for what he did. What we would want to see happen is what happened to Abimelech in the book of Judges. The title of the book of Judges comes from the principal characters in the book, the Judges. But the title's misleading. The original Hebrew word is shofet, and it really means ruler or military leader. The judges were tribal leaders or military commanders, and they led Israel in the period before the kings like Saul and David and Solomon. Since Israel didn't have any kings, these tribal leaders, these commanders, were critical to keeping Israel intact until they could become better organized as a single nation led by a king. The period of the judges spans the period of time from the Exodus to the crowning of King Saul. We have no idea who wrote the book of Judges. Most likely it was constructed over a period of several centuries and started with oral traditions. In many ways, the book of Judges is a tragic story about how the people of Israel kept taking God for granted century after century. In Judges, the people practiced idolatry. They were disobedient to God breaking their covenant with God, and this led to many military defeats. But all through this period, God never refused to open his arms to the Israelites whenever they did repent. We won't be focusing on him, but the most well-known judge is probably the 12th judge, Samson, who ruled after the people of God spent 40 years in captivity under the vicious Philistines. It was Samson who led them to victory over the Philistines, and then 20 years later, he died. Eventually, the Philistines captured him, blinded him, and killed him. 
I'd like to look at a story, though, that comes from much earlier in the book of Judges. Abimelech is the son of the greatest of the judges, Gideon, the man who delivered Israel after receiving a call from God to take on the Midianites, a huge nomadic tribe. At first, Gideon has a giant army of 32,000 men, much smaller, actually, than the Midianite army, but still a great threat. Then 22,000 of them cut and run, leaving Gideon with 10,000. But through a test from God, most of them are sent home and only 300 remain. However, God has a great plan. They don't invade or attack the Midianites in any way. God has the tiny army create a huge amount of noise with trumpets and by smashing jars. In confusion, the Midianites end up killing each other. So here is Abimelech, the son of this very famous judge, Gideon. And as it turns out, Gideon has fathered 70 sons by his many wives and one son by a concubine. This last and least important son is Abimelech, who grows up very ambitious and determined. Using family connections, he gets a band of men to kill 69 of his half-brothers. Only one survives. Abimelech gains control and rules for three years. Interestingly, although we think of Saul as the first king of Israel, Abimelech was actually called a king, but he did not rule over all of Israel. This area included Shechem, a magnificent city whose ruins were largely uncovered around 1960. But God does not let Abimelech's evil acts stand. Here's what happens to him. Then Abimelech went to Tebez and encamped against Tebez and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in and they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, A woman killed him, and his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father, in killing his brothers. There's a subtlety here. When Abimelech is about to burn the enemy's tower, a woman tosses a millstone used to grind wheat on his head, crushing his skull. Back then, to be killed by a woman was extremely humiliating. Realizing he's dying, he begs someone to quickly kill him with a sword, to conceal the real cause of his death. The society that Abimelech lived in was very traditional, very male-dominated, and men put a high value on being seen as tough and in charge. 
So the subtlety here is that grain was traditionally ground by women, and so a millstone was a woman's tool. Thus his skull is crushed by the ancient equivalent of a woman wielding a frying pan or a rolling pin. So why didn't God take care of my father's embezzling buddy the way he took care of Abimelech? Why do all of us see people who are clearly evil succeed, sometimes becoming wealthy and powerful and worshipped? Why do we have people treat us in evil ways and get away with it? The answer is that God does not always punish people in the way that we would punish them. We are earthly-minded. When we think of ways to crush someone who's done wrong, we want to put them in prison, get them fired from their job, humiliate them publicly, or maybe kill them with a frying pan. But what does God do? To answer this, we need to think about an incredible gift that God gave all of us. Free will. You could imagine us being born incapable of doing wrong. We could all proceed through life doing just what God wants, living the way Jesus lived and no one ever needing to be punished or corrected or forgiven. But if God blocked all evil behavior, we would certainly not have free will. We want to have it though, don't we? Hell, maybe we'd be better off if we didn't have it. But God decided to give each of us the personal choice of deciding how we would live. There is, however, something else to consider. In the Bible, God often catches up with evil people and crushes them, typically using enemy armies to do the job. The lesson, though, is meant to be metaphoric. Evil does not win in the end but the resolution might not be physical. Consider the man who stole money from my father. My father never recovered that stolen money. He died worth nothing, but he had a close connection to God. That's what we have when we do live the way God wants us to live. We're rewarded with a special kind of abundance, a closeness to God, something that my father certainly did have. All of us have a choice. We can live like Abimelech and have abundance on earth and very possibly never meet a terrible fate, at least not on earth. But if we live according to the teachings of Jesus, if we live with kindness, honesty, generosity, empathy, and forgiveness, if we work honestly for our money and don't take advantage of other humans, we are very dearly rewarded. We walk in the kingdom of God right now, joyously, and we walk in the kingdom of God forever. Consider Abimelech's dad, Gideon. After he freed the people of Israel from the Midianite oppressors, they wanted to make him a king, but he said this, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. This seemed like the right result. 
with a man who could have let others worship him, insisting that they should worship God instead. Gideon, the father of Abimelech, did not want to be corrupted. However, this is what actually happened. Let me make a request of each of you, every one of you. Give me the earnings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak and every man threw in the earnings of his spoil and the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city, Oprah, and all Israel worshipped it and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. It was Gideon who requested that gold be given to him. It turns out that the Midianites were traders of gold and spices and luxury items, and they were gold earrings themselves, and so the Israelites were able to recover lots of gold as the prize of war. Gideon may not have wanted to be king, but he gave in to greed, and he asked that much of the gold be given to him. He then took that gold and he made an ephod of it. An ephod is a ceremonial costume, a very lavish one, worn by high priests. The people ended up worshiping it. And so Gideon's pride led to evil. He caused them to abandon their God for idolatry. This is how Gideon's story ends. As soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal, making Baal their God. They forgot about the Lord, their God, who had rescued them from all their enemies surrounding them. So we see that Gideon, who seemed to be a truly godly man and to have led his people back to freedom and to the freedom to worship God, and even told his people not to worship him, inadvertently ended his life on a very negative note. Despite all the good he had done, he ruined it all by refusing to stick to what his heart had told him. To be humble and to put God first. Gideon died a famous man worshiped by his people. He was buried with great ceremony but he didn't die close to God. His punishment didn't come in this physical world. He wasn't murdered. He wasn't slaughtered by an enemy army. He wasn't punished the way God is often seen punishing people in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. He died having had 71 sons, and it seems that his legacy was a legacy of pride and the loss of God's grace. Most of his children were murdered, and his one son seems to have inherited his father's ill will with God. 
That's another important thing to remember. We might not see evil punished in this life. And from this, we might get the idea that there's no reason to live by God's laws. But we will lose our closeness to God if we choose not to live the way we know we should live. And we will not pass on to our children the blessings of living in the kingdom of God. It is true that we can easily pass on the earthly punishment that we biblically deserve. Ooh.